Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's so great to have you all here this uh, morning with us. Um, tonight, we're going to have uh, Christmas Eve services. This morning, um, we're doing a little different message uh, on the Holy Spirit. And then tonight, we're focusing on the birth of Christ, as you would imagine, on Christmas Eve. So I hope you'll join us back here for either 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the room here. Um, it's going to be just a fantastic time celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we'll sing some songs together, have a little kid's story. We'll do candle lighting out, um, out in the courtyard afterward. Um, so that's happening tonight. Um, as a church, we have just come through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we went all the way through um, from start to finish. And uh, last week was our final message in uh, Matthew. I hope it was helpful for you. Um, for those of you that tracked with us, uh, man, I just I learned so much personally about the life of Jesus and really felt like we did uh, such a um, scratching the surface on who Jesus was, and yet it took us two years to get there. And so um, I think there's always more to learn, and we'll continue doing that. But um, it, was a, it was a privilege um, to walk through that. Next Sunday, um, on the 31st, it's New Year's Eve, we're actually going to jump into the next series, which is going to be in Ecclesiastes. And um, some of you, I know, already like sitting back in your chair. Uh, we are not going to do Ecclesiastes over the course of two years like we did Matthew. Um, some of you may not make it out alive if we did that. Um, so we're going to go through uh, Ecclesiastes sort of topically. It'll take us about six or seven weeks to go through in the first part of the year, January, February. Really looking forward to that. So hope you guys join us back here next Sunday for that. Um, if you happen to be visiting this morning, um, we're really glad you came. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, my name's Jeff, and I'm pastor here, and I'd love to meet you. We'll be uh, out in the courtyard. There's a connect table. If you have any questions about the church or need information about ABC, we'd love to get that in your hand. Um, and also there's on the bottom of your little handout this morning, um, there's a portion for you to share a prayer request um, for, or even just to share your name. Let, let us know that you're here. Um, we always appreciate that as well. So this morning we're going to look at um, the next scene following Matthew. So we're in Acts chapter 1 talking about the Holy Spirit. And you might not have realized this, but there is a thing called Christmas in May. Um, I know you're thinking, no, it's Christmas in July. There's a whole song about it. It came out of Australia. It's this whole deal. No, but this is Christmas in May. And I'll tell you what I mean is that Jesus had risen again, right? And he came and circled up with his disciples. And we ended Matthew in this amazing scene where they're eating together. They're enjoying just fellowship. Jesus is reinforcing some of the things he taught them. He's continuing to give them a little bit of correction. There's some clarifying conversations that take place. And you almost see the disciples sort of sit back in this scene. Um, like, this is really good. We're so glad you're here with us, Jesus. And it's just sort of this peaceful presence. And then somebody drops the question, which they've all been wondering, when are you going to take your throne? And Jesus goes, actually, been meaning to talk to you about that. I'm going to leave. <laughs> and there's this record screeching moment that you see the disciples like pull back and go, what? Like you just, we went through this whole trauma of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And now you're here and it's good and we love it. What do you mean you're going to leave? And Jesus says, if you think, and I paraphrase, if you think those days are good, if you think we've had a good time, buckle up because what's coming next will blow your mind. It says it somewhere in there, maybe. <laughs> it's going to be like Christmas all over again in May when the Holy Spirit comes. It's the day 
called Pentecost. I want to show you this day in Acts chapter 20, or Acts chapter 1. So turn with me if you have your Bible. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 8, and then we'll come back and pick it up in a couple minutes. But here's what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they literally watched Jesus ascend off the earth and float into the clouds. And they're standing there with their jaws dropped going, what in the world is happening? And the angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and he pushes their chin up. Close your mouth. And he's like, listen, Jesus is gone, but he's going to come back. And in these verses following, we realize that Jesus is fulfilling everything he said was going to happen. And we remember back to John chapter 16, where he says to these very disciples, truly, I tell you, it is for your good. I am going away because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they realize and understand that in this moment, while Jesus has left the earth, there is a presence of Christ. There is a Holy Spirit power that's about to come. And so what they do next is wait. They're ready. The coming of the Holy Spirit will be like Christmas all over again for them. Because Christmas is about receiving and following Jesus, isn't it? We talk about that often. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to this earth as a child, lived a sacrificial life, sacrificed his life so that we could be forgiven for our sins, and then he rose again and he ascended into heaven. We talk about the story of Jesus at Christmas and what it means to receive Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. That's the story of Christmas. But the story of Pentecost is receiving and following the Holy Spirit. These two things are distinct but equal. The work of the Holy Spirit is not less significant than the work of Jesus. Following Jesus is different than following the Holy Spirit. Observing the way of Jesus, listening to his teaching, reading the Gospels as we've just done, study his life, how he works, the people he interacts with, the kind of words he uses and the things that he says and does and his prayer routines, all of these things, the way of Jesus, so to speak. We, we study this and read this, but this is mostly a cerebral activity. It's an intellectual process for us to make sense of how Jesus works, what he does and says, and it gives us an opportunity to make a faith decision, again, an intellectual decision about who Jesus is, but embracing and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit becomes a heart activity. It moves from an intellectual decision to an opening up and bearing my heart and soul for the sake of following what Jesus is actually calling me to do, embracing and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And these two cannot be segregated. The work of Christ is not more significant than the work of the Holy Spirit. I appreciate how A.W. Tozer says, he says, the Holy Spirit 
came to carry the evidence of Christianity from the books of the apologetics, that's the gospels that we've read, into the human heart. The spirit of the living God brought an evidence that needed no logic. It went straight to the soul like a flash of silver light. It's like the translation of all the information that we've just studied, learned, and tried to embrace. You see, following Jesus requires that you listen to the gospel. You make sense of who he is. You make some decisions about following Jesus. You agree and accept that it's true, making a faith statement that you, in fact, do need his forgiveness. But then following the Holy Spirit requires that you release the passions and the desires that are innately in your flesh and you replace them with holy spiritual desires that God provides. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the scene we look at in Acts chapter 1 for these first century believers changed everything. There's no arguing that. You can read prior to Holy Spirit and see how they live, act, what they say and do, the way they articulate things, the decisions they make, and you can see this complete flip of their understanding, of their wisdom, of the way in which they lead and love and serve for the sake of Jesus when they receive the Holy Spirit. It changed Everything. Their walk with Christ went from this tangible perception, how do I see things and how do I see Jesus, to this powerful reception of the living God in them. And it would, it would never be the same. I appreciate, um, Francis Chan wrote a book about the Holy Spirit. He says, if you or I had never been to a church like this, if we had never experienced the tradition of what we, ex what we believe church is as it relates to religious experience, and we had only read the Old and New Testaments, we would have significant expectations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, if, we read, if we've read and believed these accounts, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. He would not be a mostly forgotten member of the Godhead whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition to. Man, that's a stinging statement. Is the Holy Spirit an often forgotten or neglected member of the Trinity who we occasionally give a nod to at times? See, Christmas is the statement, we need a Savior. Pentecost is the statement, we need a helper. An equal, significant member of the Trinity that directs and guides. Francis goes on to say, and I paraphrase his writing, that if you know, we would only have the personhood of Jesus walking with us, we, we would love for him to just tell us what to do, right? Like just to literally be by our side and we approach difficult circumstances and he says, well, here's, here's the truth about that circumstance and here's a decision you can make and here's how to, how to think about this and as it relates to what I'm doing in the world and he's constantly giving you advice and telling you how to approach people and giving you words to say and giving you insight and wisdom into the circumstances you're encountering and yet we assume that the literal presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is different than that. that. That we don't have that wisdom or that truth or that voice or that counselor that's guiding and directing and teaching and helping us through all of life's circumstances the way that we would if Jesus was physically present in our life. And it's unbiblical. We assume that 
the Holy Spirit doesn't have the same degree of power or authority that Jesus does. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was installing a trailer hitch on my 2003 Toyota Matrix. That's a conversation for another day. It's a four-cylinder, so... But I did, it, there was a trailer hitch. Um, so I was out there working and uh, it's a bolt-on deal, you know, I get under and get the bolts out and have it all ready to go. My dad happened to be visiting and he's really smart, like brilliant. He's an engineer and he always does things the right way. And so I'm like wrestling through this thing. And so I go get my dad for help. He can help me put this hitch on, you know, and it's not working, it's not fitting, you know, like the bolts aren't lining up and stuff. And I'm just trying to manhandle this thing, you know, like if I can just get it in and get a crowbar out there and like try to pry it into position so I can get the bolts in there. I'm like, this is going to work. And he's, he says when in these moments when he starts to get, you know, concerned and frustrated, he goes, Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey, we need to go get new bolts and we need to get a tap and re-drill these holes and do it the right way. And I said, no, 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 we don't need that. That's a silly, it's, this thing's made to go on. You know, I've got the bolts and we got the thing. And we probably wrestle over it for like two and a half hours, you know, where I have my way to do it and it's going to work. I believe it's going to work. If there's a will, there's a way. And I just have to keep putting a little bit more elbow grease into it, you know, and he's like, well, there's a way to do it. And it's just re-drilling and getting a tap and trying to do this the right way and make sure the threads line up and all things, right? You know, but the truth is I didn't want his help even though I asked for it. And I, and I wonder how often in our lives we think, oh man, I, wanna, I want the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I want to live the way that Jesus lived and I want to have truth and I want to have wisdom in the way that I behave. And so I say, yes, Spirit, lead me, God. Lead me to do the right thing at the right time and say the right kind of things. And yet when he gives us that advice, when he starts to lead, we're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it that way. That's not the kind of help I wanted. I want help to do things my way, the way I wanted to do them, not someone to tell me a different way. And I think that might be the reason why the Holy Spirit is such a neglected and forgotten part of our understanding of the walk with Jesus, the Christian life. We don't want to do it his, a different way, right? Like, don't tell me I'm doing it wrong. Just help me do it my wrong way. It's... It's a backwards approach to following the work of the Spirit. And so this Christmas, Christmas Eve, I'm inviting you to experience the leadership and the presence of the Spirit of God. And it begins with surrender. It's the hardest step possibly. One of the most difficult things to do is to let go and say, okay, I give up. I surrender. Look at what is happening here in Acts. I want to read just the following verses from the scene where we saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mounts called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they'd entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and the son of the Simon, Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Okay, so you have this whole group. There's 11 disciples. There's some of the women that were following with them. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're all there circled up in this room. And it says very clearly, verse 14, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Devotion, commitment, Lord, lead us. Spirit, we're waiting. We don't know what to do next. Yielding their desire and giving up whatever they wanted to be doing 
whatever they thought was the next best thing, and they were ready, willing, and waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead. Similar to the way Paul says in Romans chapter 12, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Come willing, offer, ready, surrender. And I think it's the primary tension for all of us, all of us who are following Jesus, that it comes down to willingness. Do you really want to accept the help of God's leadership in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit? Or are you content and complacent enough to continue walking blindly through the maze of life? I wonder if these early followers of Jesus in those days here in Acts chapter 1, if they had any kind of concept of doing anything without God. The way I see them behaving here, kind of the, even the posture, and you, you read further and you hear some of the exchange of conversation, it's as if they literally didn't know what to do next. Oh, I don't know, we'll just stay. What should we do? I don't know, we'll wait. Well, where should we go? I don't know, maybe just we'll, like, we'll, we'll stay here. Well, what should we decide? I don't know. Well, I think we'll just trust him to, to tell us what to decide. Fully dependent, it says in verse 14, with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And the Holy Spirit life begins with a simple prayer that I believe is embodied in the text here. Lord, lead me. Holy Spirit, direct me. It's a surrender. We start there and then we receive. And I want to show you how they received the Holy Spirit. In chapter two, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the Holy Spirit came as they waited, as they were ready, as they surrendered and yielded and devoted themselves to prayer. The Holy Spirit came and Jesus says in Acts chapter 1-8, you will receive. Remember he says, you will receive. But the next word he says is power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And unfortunately, I think today, as we approach our understanding of Jesus and what it means to follow him, we stop so often short of this power. We follow Jesus to an extent. We understand the words and the teachings of Christ in the Gospels, and we make sense of the fact that he was creator God, that he did, in fact, live a perfect life and sacrifice his life. We, we make sense of all that, and yet we stop short because we're holding on too tight, or yet we're unwilling to allow for someone or some being to tell me a different way to go about living my life. And so we stop short of this power. When Jesus says you will receive power, he means power in the most pungent sense of the word, power. Let me show you this painting. Such a beautiful painting. Our, this digital doesn't do like half of justice, but this is, a, this is a beautiful painting by William Holman Hunt. It's called Light of the World. And 
If you, if you just look for a second on the face of Jesus, it's hard to make out, but there's a crown on his head. It's the crown of thorns that's been reshaped and molded into a gold crown. And there's the moonlight sort of crowning his head and he's holding a lantern, carrying the light and he's robed with this ornate, majestic, Robe, and it stands as a representation of how we see the risen and resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ in all of his power and all of his authority. It's just this gorgeous image of Jesus. But if you notice, he's standing at a door. It's kind of hard to make out in the photo, but that's in fact a door. And that door doesn't have a handle or a latch on it. And the door is all overgrown with, with weeds. And underneath this painting, this painting actually hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And underneath this painting, there's a little inscription, and here's what it reads. It says, on the left-hand side of the picture is seen this door of the human soul. It is fast barred. Its bars and nails are rusty. It is knitted and bound to its stanchions by creeping tendrils of ivy, showing that it has never been opened. And Jesus the risen Lord and all of his power and all of his authority. He stands outside the door and I fear the possibility for a church like ours of us continuing to look to the face of Jesus and celebrating who Jesus is. We come to a Christmas Eve service and we celebrate Jesus Christ, the son, the baby's born. He came to save the world from their sins. We celebrate Jesus, we elevate Jesus and appropriately so. We should celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in all of his glory and all of his power. And yet we leave him right there on this painting where he stands just outside of the door of our life because if he stays there, I can celebrate him, I can look to him, I can point to him as a good example and I can think about all the ways that he led and provided and all the things that he is and what he's going to do and he's preparing a place for me, but I don't really have to crack the door to my weed-grown, over-closed, rusty door, and I can continue to do whatever it is that I feel I want to do in the way that I want to do it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus writes to the church. This is the words of Jesus speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. You guys, this is spiritual power, spiritual victory. He's inviting us to, to think, to speak, and to decide in a wholly different way, a way that's inhuman. Open the door, let him in, and invite the work of the Spirit to fill your house, for him to come in and dine, and the right of victory, power will be given to you as we sit with him on his throne. That's the invitation of the Holy Spirit. And we will, in fact, in that moment, be moved toward obedience. And that's the last line there on your outline, obey. 
If we read further into the account of Acts, Peter confronts the religious leaders who are trying to keep him from preaching Jesus. He's trying to celebrate Jesus Christ and, and they're telling him to stop. And he says in Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And he acknowledges God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey. We surrender to the Holy Spirit. We receive and we embrace the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But the work begins when we choose to obey the direction of the Holy Spirit. It may be plain and simple for those early followers of Jesus, but as you continue reading on in Acts, it gets a lot messier than that, right? I mean, it makes sense for them to sit and wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and then there's this amazing fanfare moment where all of the power of the Holy Spirit descends on them, and then they kind of know what to do and what to say, and Peter knows what to preach, and it makes a lot of sense. But then they get into some really muddy waters, like uh, trying to make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and trying to contend with the authority of Rome, and trying to figure out where they should go, and, and how they should speak about food that's been offered to idols. There's just a whole bunch of messy circumstances that they encounter in this process. So it gets harder than that. Less clearer, and that's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, 16, he says, So I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And that's the hardest line right there. That's the essence of the Christian life, of the Holy Spirit-led life, is that you are not to do what you want to do. And it's why we neglect the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I've got a crowbar and a wrench and I can do this, my goodness. And when someone's coming and telling me a different way, my reaction, my gut instinct is to put up a hand like this and say, no, no, hold on. Let me try first. I've got this. It's in every single human being. It's called our flesh. And that's what Paul is writing about, that your flesh is contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you can invite the Holy Spirit. You can receive the Holy Spirit. But at some point, you have to do what he says. Okay. I hear what you're saying. I'll follow your lead. I'm going to do what's opposite of what my hunger and my flesh and my cravings are telling me to do. And I'm going to do the thing that you're telling me to do. This is simple obedience. Jay Sidlow Baxter wrote this entire Bible study on the New Testament. It's like seven or eight volumes. Um, just an amazing study. And so he gets up to Galatians chapter five and six, where he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. You know, we're familiar with um, Galatians 6 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says these fruits are evidence of the work of the Spirit rather than prerequisites. Here, listen to what he says. The fruit of the Spirit stresses the fact that what we are determines the value of what we do. Only the Holy Spirit can produce these qualities in the heart and the life. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit lived out in obedience are evidence that you've fully surrendered 
and receive the Holy Spirit rather than that you have been obedient enough to produce fruit, right? So the way we see it sometimes is, okay, well, I want a more spirit-led, spirit-filled life. I want to follow the way of Jesus. And so I'm going to take things like self-control or patience or kindness. And you think, I want to be a more patient person. 2024, we get up to the new year. We think, I'm going to be a more patient person this year. So I'm going to read a self-help book on patience, and I'm going to practice a meditative process on patience, and I'm going to have a little rhythm and a ritual. I'm going to count down from 10 down to zero whenever I feel impatient, and I'm going to go through this process of training my mind, and it will never work. Maybe for a little while. Has anybody learned patience by trying? Anyone? (laughs) Let's just have a testimony. I'll bring a mic to you right now. We don't do things by trying. We do things by yielding. And the Holy Spirit's fruit is evidence that we've let go and surrendered and let him do the work. You will never grow in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control, in love, and in joy by trying harder to live in your flesh by trying harder to discipline your body and your mind, and I'm just going to read another book and put another thing into practice. I can do this. No, you can't. So Baxter says, this fruit becomes evidence that you've released, that you've surrendered, that you've invited. And you said, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to do the things that you're leading me to do, even though they're counter to my flesh, even though they stand in opposition to what my cravings are and what my desires are, my instincts are, I'm going to do the things you're prompting me. I'm going to follow your lead. And the power of the Holy Spirit begins to cultivate this obedience in you. And you start to see fruit. It starts to grow. I had a, a counselor friend tell me this week that fruit of the Spirit we often view as a tree that we're hanging fruit on. Well, I'm going to hang patience on the tree. I'm going to hang joy on the tree. And so we try to grab these different attributes and qualities and we hang them on our tree when in reality what we need to do is get a shovel and dig the soil and water the tree. Allow for the Holy Spirit to take over, to consume and to direct every bit of your life in a way that will grow that fruit. There's power in the work of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow's December 25th. No news to you. It's Christmas Day. It's a day that commemorates the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a day we're celebrating, 100%. Jesus was the gift at Christmas. But on May 19th, 2024, It's a day that's marked on the calendar, particularly the church calendar. It's called Pentecost. It's a day that commemorates the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And the chances are you probably won't exchange gifts. You probably aren't going to make a special meal. We, We probably won't host special services on May 19th. And that may be a telltale sign of our Holy Spirit value, even as a church. Because there is a, as Francis Chan would call it, forgotten God that's wanting to provide all of the leadership and all the direction and all the discipline and all of the clarity that you need to be able to follow Jesus. And all it requires is that you start to listen, crack open that door and say, okay, I surrender, I receive, 
and I'll obey. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Happy Pentecost. Let me pray. Father, I confess before my friends and family here this morning that I have neglected the work of the Holy Spirit. I've received Jesus. I celebrate Jesus. I make a lot about Jesus and all rightfully so. But Lord, you've given us a gift, a promised gift, a promised leader, helper that came in power and that provided every bit of clarity, wisdom, and direction that we needed to be able to follow you. So Father, this morning on Christmas Eve, may we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit if we have not yet surrendered our life to your leadership. And may we follow willingly. Lord, we know that living the transformed and sanctified life is hard work because it's always counter to what our flesh desires. So I ask, God, that we would turn up the volume, so to speak, on the voice of the Holy Spirit. We would listen better. And just like those early followers who devoted themselves to prayer, that they were ready, they were listening, that we would stop, we would listen. We would allow for you to lead in ways that we maybe haven't realized yet. And God, may we celebrate the fact that there is a triune God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who give us power and who produce fruit in our lives as a result. In your name I pray.